Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 24th of May 2009, entitled Three-Dimensional Giving, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Going to once again take our reading from 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 16 through 24. I do invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Again, beginning in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Father, Thank you again for this evening. Lord, I thank you genuinely for each one that is here this evening. I thank you for health and strength. I thank you, Lord, for your word that we've just read, for your Holy Spirit that lives within us. I thank you, Father, that we can have confidence even now that though that we deserve nothing, that, Lord, that your grace will allow you, Lord, to take and speak to our hearts and meet our needs this evening, Lord, because we are a people in need. Father, I pray that you would truly anoint Speak to our hearts. Give us that which we most need. May all that takes place bring glory and honor to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, we figured out this morning that everybody is excited and hoping that they could come to church today and hear the pastor preach on giving. And, of course, we did see as we looked at this matter of three-dimensional giving We began on the basis of the facts of what we've just read here that, well, we've got a giving God, a loving God that proved his love by the gift of himself to us. Aren't we glad that we've got a giving God? Then, of course, we looked at this subject which scares a lot of Christians, this first dimension, the first dimension only of giving, the first fruits, the tithe, if you would. And, of course, if you didn't get that, you can go back and listen to it. There's probably a good hour sermon there that you can listen to and look at the Scriptures on this matter, which looks back and realizes that, no, tithing is not just a matter that's under the law. Tithing existed before the law. It existed under the law, and it exists after the law. And we saw that it's not a way for us to get at you and to make life harder for you, but it's a way for you to receive the blessings of God in your life. And that if you're not tithing, the Bible says you're robbing that you're a thief, and you can't even take part 
in this second dimension and third dimension that are so exciting in God's Word. And that's where we're going to draw our attention this evening. And I want to, first of all, I want to move you to this second dimension of giving that we see in, in God's Word. And that is, we saw that the first dimension, this thing that we call first fruits, the tithe, was something that was binding upon each and every Christian. It's not a matter of choice. We can either obey or disobey. Once we obey in that, there is a second dimension of giving that we can move into, and this is giving that is what I simply call benevolent. It is a free will offering. We oftentimes, in other words, something that is benevolent means you give it because you care, because there's a compassion, because you want to do something. This is why it's often referred to as a love offering. It's something that shows that we care. It's something that shows our compassion. Now, the first dimension, as I've already said, it's got to precede the second dimension. You can't give a love offering. You can't give a free will offering if you've robbed God's tithe in order to do that. That's impossible. We find that you can never truly see and experience this dimension of giving until we get right on the first dimension. Now, I want to give you very simply and very quickly, and I'm going to talk fast, I'm going to preach fast, and you're going to listen fast, or I'm never going to get through all this this evening. But turn back with me, if you would, into the book of Exodus. And I want to tell you, you know, we get excited about people giving to us. The matter of giving, when you start searching in the, in the Scriptures, I said this morning, you know, when the doctor starts poking and prodding and it starts hurting, it's usually a sign that something's wrong. If it hurts to look at this subject, there's probably something wrong because it shouldn't hurt. It's something that, that, that we ought to get excited about and something that ought to bring great joy to our Christian life. Now, look back in Exodus chapter 35, and I want to highlight a few verses to you here. Notice, beginning in verses 4 and 5 of this chapter, we could read all of it, but for the sake of time, Notice it says, And Moses spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. And boy, you can just read on those next verses, which just covers practically any possession that they might have. Now, it seems strange because on the one hand, this is the thing which the Lord commanded. But yet he goes right on. What did God command? God commanded that this offering be taken, but it take, be taken from those who were of a willing heart. We find that if you look later on down in this same chapter, notice what it says in verse 20 to 22. It says, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, every one whose heart stirred him up. We talked this morning about this matter of the heart. Everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of of the tabernacle of the congregation and for all his service and for the holy garments. 
they came, both men and women, notice again, as many as were willing-hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and jewels of gold. And every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Now skip down with me, if you would, to verse 29. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made him willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Now, there's many more things that you could look at, but I want you to see the importance time and time and time again. There was something happened inside, in the heart, that made these people a willing-hearted people. They were participating in this offering not because they felt the pressure. What's people going to think of me if I don't give to this or give to that? What's this going to do for my bank account? Blah, blah, blah. All the, no, there was something happened in the heart. Every person that was giving this was giving of a willing heart because something had stirred them up inside. Now notice with me down in chapter 36, notice what it says in verses 5 to 7. And they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the stuff that had was for the stuff they had was sufficient for all the work to make it and too much. Wow. Every pastor's nightmare, right? <laughs> Every treasurer's nightmare too. <laughs> the fact is it's it's amazing when we look here because notice what was happening. First of all, we saw this morning what the tithe was to be used for. Now they're building a tabernacle here for God. But God says, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to ask the people, all those that are willing to put my work in front, all those that want to have a part in doing my work to build this tabernacle, to bring of what they have. And this is an amazing thing. The people, the Bible says something stirred them up in their hearts and they were willing and they were wanting to have a part in this God's work. But the problem was, suddenly it started to pile up so much. They come to Moses and says, Moses, you got to do something. We're getting so much stuff, we don't know what to do with it. We got not just enough to do what we wanted to do, but more than that. And they actually had to, the Bible says, restrain the people from giving. Stop, please, stop, stop, enough. I've never known a pastor that's had to do that. Just had to get up and say, Please, could you please not give anything else in the offering? We're in such a state that God's work is being taken care of in such a way we've got more than we know what to do with. And you know what? I, I know I shouldn't say this. I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Moses wasn't wearing his white slick suit <laughs> and playing all of his emotional games. 
in order to get people to send in all their offerings. Moses went to them with the commandment of God, and the people were stirred from their hearts. They wanted to have a part in God's work. Have we ever really stopped to think of the privilege of having a part in what God is doing? Notice in chapter 40 what it says here. Chapter 40, verses 33 and 34. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court guard. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see, God's given us a task to complete. Moses' task was to build this tabernacle. But do you notice, it took the people and their willing hearts to get involved. And when they finished the work, boy, they knew the presence of God in a mighty and a real way. We find that that is the second dimension of giving. It's not commanded that you do it. It is commanded that you do it if you have a willing heart. It is commanded that you take part in it if you're willing to, if God's work means that much to you. A man had a heart attack, and he was rushed off to the hospital. Hospital wouldn't allow him to receive much company because they didn't want him to get excited. They didn't want him to, to be overexerted. While he was laying there in the hospital, a rich relative, an uncle I think it was of his, that, that died, and he left him in a state of a million dollars. Family's trying to figure out, now how in the world do we break this news to him and keep him from getting excited about that? You know, we, we don't want to, you know, to do anything to hurt him. So it was decided the job would fall to the preacher. <laughs> preacher was going to have to go in and, and, and be able to break this to him in the right way. But he had just inherited a million dollars. Preacher goes in and he's gradually trying to lead up to being able to tell this man what's happened without him getting overexcited. Finally, the preacher asked him a question. This might be a good way to lead into it. He said, so-and-so, if, if you were to inherit a million dollars, what would you do with it? <laughs> he looked for a minute, and he smiled. He looked real serious. He went, why, why, pastor, he said, well, I, I, I'd want to give half of that to the church at least. Pastor fell over and had a heart attack. Right? <laughs> it's always easy to give what we don't have, what we hope to have, what we think that we might have. But the truth is, is that we can only give from that that we've got right now. And what God is looking for is people that are of a willing heart. You see, the simple truth is this before we move on to the next dimension. You know what free will offerings really do? They prove what's really important to us. <laughs> it's one thing for us to say, I love this and I love that. But these offerings really show where our loves really lie. What's more important to us? Is it really the Lord and His work and what needs to be accomplished in winning lost souls to Christ? Or is it the things? I looked. Well, I wish I could find it. 
I used to have a poem that was entitled Things that was printed years and years ago in, in, in the paper that our mission organization put out, and I couldn't find a copy of it anywhere. I even went and surfed on the Internet and everything, and I just couldn't find what I was looking for. But the truth, truth is, is that things can take up such a place in our lives, and they're all so temporal. None of them are going are gonna to last. What's really more important to us? Is it more important to really please God or to please our flesh? You see, what we do with our money, with our possessions, will prove our love. We've got so many examples in God's Word of God's bountiful, wonderful, beautiful blessings on His people. I'm not going to go back and repeat all that I said this morning. I have absolute confidence, 100%, without a shadow of a doubt, that the blessings that this congregation has known has been because of its generosity in giving outside these walls rather than trying to keep it all inside them. The first dimension of giving, it's binding. You either sin or you don't sin. You obey or you disobey. It belongs to God. You can hang on to the 100% without God's blessing, or you can take 90% with His blessing, which will go a whole lot further. The first dimension of giving, you honor God. Be honest with what God's given you with. The second dimension of giving is this matter of free will offerings. It's what we give out of what God has blessed us with. We give it willingly because that God's work means to it, because those souls mean so much to us, because that we desire to have a part in winning the loss to Christ. We find that there's a third dimension to giving, though. That's where I've wanted to head to this evening. You see, the first dimension is giving that is binding. The second is giving that is benevolent because you care. But the third is giving that is beyond. <laughs> it's beyond. And you know, it's, it's amazing that we can spend so much. I spent a lot of my Christian years without even knowing that this existed in God's Word. A lot of Christians never have the privilege and the excitement of, of experiencing this third dimension of giving, either because they've never been taught it, or maybe because they've read it in the Scripture, but it just didn't sink in as to just what it was. You see, the first two dimensions are both accomplished from what is within your means of giving. You can sit down with your calculator, and you can calculate it up. You can count everything that you've got because it comes out of your possessions that you have. doesn't matter if you've got a little. doesn't matter if you've got a lot. God doesn't require you to give yours based on what somebody else has. But we find that it is you doing all that you should do and then all that you can do. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of your faithfulness regardless of where you fall in there with how much or how little it is. But what I want to ask you is this. Is there anybody here this evening that's just absolutely got so much money in the bank that there is no limit to what you can do. 
No limit anywhere. Anybody got that problem? <laughs> well, you know, the truth is, doesn't matter how much we've got or been blessed with, every human being has a limit. I don't care if he's got the largest bank account that's ever been recorded in history. He can only spend what he has. He can only give what he has. We have limits. What happens when we reach our limit? And yes, everyone does have one. What happens when you have honored God and faithfully given your tithe and then after that, you sit down and you have genuinely stretched yourself to do everything that you possibly can because it really means more to you that that soul have the opportunity to hear the gospel, to be one to Christ. That means more to you than that extra holiday or even that extra bottle of Coke or whatever it might be. It's something that you, you care enough about that you do everything that you can you know, there's a saying that says, you know, that you can give until it hurts. <laughs> well, let's say that you have given until it really hurts. There just isn't any more to give. What do you do then? Well, the truth is, <laughs> you got to get to that point <laughs> before you can even begin to take part in this third dimension of giving. You've got to do what you can do. You do that with your tithe. You do that with your free will offering. But we said this is giving beyond. You see, you've done everything with what you have, but we're talking about beyond that. We're talking about what you don't have. We're talking about what's completely beyond you. We're talking about what's completely beyond your means and everything that you've got. We're talking about what's completely beyond your power and your ability. You say, preacher, you're crazy. You can only do what you can do with what you've got. You're right. That's all you can do. But folks, although each and every one of us have our limits, you know what? We serve a limitless God. <laughs> I mean, there is no limit with God. I want to direct your attention for just the next few minutes to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as we begin to look here, I want to show you again. I want to show you a tremendous illustration. This is not something that I thought up. It's not something that somebody else thought up and, and passed on down the line. It's something that God gave us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let's just read through this. Notice where he begins here. Remember, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of what? Of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, this is interesting. What do we normally think of when we talk about God's grace being poured out on us? We, talk, we think about something good, not something bad. He says, I want you to witness. I want you to see what God's grace that has been poured out upon these people. The Macedonian church is being used as an example here. It's not theory. This is the recording of reality. This is about, first of all, remember, a work of grace. It's only by God's grace 
that this church at Macedonia was able to accomplish what they did. What is that? Notice verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, that don't seem like much of a time to be happy when you're in great affliction, and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. <laughs> Sounds like he's kind of talking in circles, doesn't it? I mean, they're in a great trial of affliction, and yet they seem to be happy about it. They have absolutely nothing. I mean, they're not just poor. They're in deep poverty. And yet, the Bible says they're wanting to generously, liberally give to somebody else. I mean, does that make sense? I thought that was a time when we're supposed to have a little pity party and complain. Oh, Lord, things are so hard. Things are so tough. They're, they're in great affliction. They're in deep poverty. And yet they're joyful and they're liberally wanting to give. Notice it says in verse 3, For to their power I bear record, yea, hmm, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. They had done everything in their power. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm bearing record. They've done everything in their power that they possibly can. But then they went on to do something else. These people that were in affliction, these people that were in deep poverty, they did something which was beyond their power, <laughs> completely beyond their ability. It was completely beyond them, something that could only be accredited to the grace of God. <laughs> he says, look at what happened. He says in verse 4, he says, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Here's this people being afflicted in their deep poverty. They're begging us. Please let us be a part of your ministry. Please let us give. Please take these gifts. They're not trying to find a way out of it, a way to do less. He says, they're begging us. He says in verse 5, And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord, and to us by the will of God. It was what God wanted. It was God's will. They gave themselves completely, totally to God and to us. We were more important to them than they were to themselves. You see, that was God's will. That's exactly what John was writing about back there, that God loved us so much that he gave himself and that we ought to love the brethren enough to give ourselves in the same way. He goes on here. He says in verse 6, And so much that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. The same grace also. What's he talking about? He's talking to the church at Corinth. He's saying, if you would, look at what happened at Macedonia. Look at that church. I mean, these people, they were in great affliction. They were in deep poverty. 
And yet they were, they were happy and they were giving and they were begging us to let us give, to, to, to let them have a part in this ministry. But what he's saying to them is that this same grace that you can see in Matthew, this same grace is available to the church at Corinth as well. This same grace is repeatable right here in your church. And notice he goes on. He says in verse, verse 7, he says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Sounds like there was, man, there was a lot of really great things taking place in this church. This church was blessed in so many ways. There was obviously a lot of things they were doing right. But they needed to be involved in this grace as well. They needed this to be a part of their lives as well. Verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and I've underlined this in my Bible, to prove the sincerity of your love to prove the sincerity of your love. You know, this is not to be accomplished because that God commanded that you had to do it, but this is going to be accomplished because you really love God like you say you do. It's going to prove the sincerity of your love, of what's really important to you. He says in verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He gave up everything. Jesus Christ, his gift to us, that's the greatest example of all. Look at what he did. He was willing to sacrifice everything so that you would have the opportunity to have everything. He gave it all up for you. He says, and therein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it. That is, there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which we have. Apparently, a year before, something had happened that they had become aware of a need and they had promised to do something, but he says, now is the time to act upon it. You promised that you were going to do it. Now's the time to do it. Come good with what you've promised to do. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according that a man hath and not according that he hath not. We get hung up on what we've got and what we don't have and what we need and what we don't. He says, hey, that's not what you need to be worrying about. It was extremely important. There must, first of all, be a willingness to get involved regardless of what they had or didn't have. It's not based, you don't get involved in this because that you've got a big account in the bank. You've got a willing heart to get involved with God regardless of what you have. He says, for I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. 
We're not doing this so that somebody else can have an easier life and so that you can pay for it and you can carry the burden for them. He says, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there be equality as it is written. He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. He's saying, folks, get this in your head. I'm not trying to teach you this to make life harder for you, to, that, that somebody else is going to be a burden to you. He's pointing them to look and see what God has already done in Macedonia. When these people that were in great affliction, that were in deep poverty, yet they had a joy. <laughs> they had a, a desire to be involved in the ministry. And they were begging these men, please, let us have a part. And they did. And he says, not only did they do what was within their power to do, then they did what was way beyond their power. It wasn't them that was doing this. You see, we ought to all be doing everything that we can, what's within our power. But God's given us a task to perform. What about when we reach that limit? Notice, notice what he says down in verse 24. Just wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. <laughs> I like that. This dimension of giving, when it was at work in their midst, it would prove their love, but it was also prove their reputation, their testimony amongst others, <laughs> amongst the other churches. The truth was is that others could see what God was doing amongst them. Look down the next chapter, chapter 9 there. He says, for as touching the ministering to the saints, it is super superfluous for me to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared. We, that way, that we say not ye should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. You see, it's important. It's important for our testimony before us, that we plan, that we prepare, that we perform that which we say we're going to do. That's part of what our missions conference is all about. Do we really want God to do more, or are we satisfied? Do we want God to do more? Do we really genuinely believe that God can do even if we were, if every person here 
is being totally, completely honest with your tithe and you're giving everything that you can possibly give out of your possessions and all that you have if you're doing everything that you can. Do we believe that God's big enough to do more? Or is that the limit? Does our God really have a limit because we have a limit? You see, he's trying to teach them something that is, that is vital here. He says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Going to come back the same way that it goes out. Our blessings are going to come back in direct proportion to our giving. He says in verse 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Look at me. I can tell you this honestly. I'm not trying to get you to do something for the cause of missions in this church that you're going to sit there and say, Oh, boy, I wish I didn't have to do this. Preacher talked me into this. <laughs> he said, I don't want you to do it grudgingly. This is something that's got to come from your heart. It's something that you've got to trust God for to do. You, got to first, you can't even approach this dimension of giving until you've took part in the first dimension and you're honest with your tithe. And you've took part in the second which is sitting down and figuring out what you can do with what God's blessed you with. Only then, when you've done everything in your power, can you go beyond your power. This is God doing the impossible. This is God doing. That's why that I emphasize year after year, pray before God. Don't make rash decisions. This is not something that I want you just to, to do and then feel like that you have to or that you regret what you're doing. God loveth a cheerful giver, something that we can be great. Man, look what God did again this week so that I could give that money to missions that I didn't think that I was going to have. What's God doing? Notice he goes on, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Do you believe that God can and will take care of your needs? Do you believe that his grace is sufficient? He's saying you're not going to suffer because of this. When you're obeying and trusting God, he'll meet your needs. He'll meet every need that you've got. And as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of the ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Can I summarize? He said it's a testimony for faithfulness to others that are watching us. 
He says it's a testimony to God's faithfulness and his sufficiency in his supply for us. He says it's an encouragement to ourselves and to those around us in seeing God at work doing what we can't do. It blesses those to whom it's going to, to meet their needs. And it'll cause others to glorify God because of the way it confesses to the reality of the gospel at work in a life. How can we describe or thank God for such wonderful things? Notice we jump down real quick, just a few verses as we come to a close in chapter 10. Notice what he says, picking up in verse 12. He says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. We can start getting proud in what we're doing, right? <laughs> but it's really what God's doing. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Listen, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope. When your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Wow. When your faith is increased, it's going to make it possible for God's servants to be enlarged. He says in verse 16, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Folks, this third dimension of giving, it's a matter of faith. When we can truly believe God in this matter, then others and their ministries will be enlarged to be able to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. It really is of no importance what we're doing in men's eyes. But what about in God's eyes? In the first instance, God gave himself. In the first instance, we must give ourselves. That's where it's got to begin. We accept His gift through grace. We give ourselves to Him. Once we belong to God, our relationship with Him is greatly affected by that first dimension of giving because, folks, you can only obey Him or disobey Him. It is binding. There's only two choices. I can be honest or I can be a thief. Not to be involved 
faithfully in the giving of our first fruits, the giving of our tithes, folks, is sin. It's sin. And what does sin do in our lives? It doesn't make you not a Christian. It'll break that fellowship that you have as a Christian. It'll rob you of the many blessings. Remember this morning I said, you know, God's wanting to raise the windows of heaven and just pour blessings out on your life, and you're just slamming the windows out. No, thanks, God. I'll take care of it myself. I'll use my 90% and your 10%, and I'll do it myself. Just stay out of it. God wants to bless you. God wants to pour his blessings out upon you. Folks, it's not a test of your salvation, but it is a test of your obedience and your fellowship. Why are you not feeling as close to the Lord as you ought to? Why are you not knowing the Lord's blessings? Well, just because you tithe, we saw this morning, there's lots of other things involved too, but is that one of the things in your life that's affecting your Christian walk? The second dimension, the free will offerings. Simply, it'll show how important the Lord's work is to us. It's a matter of the heart, having a willing heart. It's a benevolent gift that's given because we care. Only when we're yielded to Him can this kind of giving come easily. The rewards will be great. But if we're not really yielded to him, it's going to be hard to dip into your things and give to God. But if God owns all of you, it becomes easy. And this third dimension, it not only affects us, but it affects many around us that are in need. Not just earthly needs we're talking about, but even more importantly, their spiritual needs. It is a giving that is completely beyond us. It's a working of God's glorious grace that will allow us to reach the regions beyond. <laughs> you see, it's a giving that's beyond us so that we can reach the regions beyond. It's proof of our love. It can only come through genuine faith, a working faith, a faith that sees God for who in all that he really is can trust him to do the unseen things. Trust him to do the impossible. Can trust him to do that which is totally beyond your power to accomplish. <laughs> this great task before us that we are focusing on this week, this work of missions. Missions can be supported through a portion of the ties that's brought into the storehouse. And I said this morning, as a church, we give a tithe of everything that you bring in just to the work of missions to be set aside, to go into that work. Missions can also be supported through free will offerings, and it should be. When you make a choice, make a decision of what you're going to do for the work of missions for the coming year, I simply say, God help you if you're not willing to make some sacrifices. If you're not willing to give up a few pleasures in your life so that people that are on their way to hell can hear the truth, then God help us. Remember what he said there in our beginning? 
Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There are many of our brethren, of our brothers and sisters in Christ, even as we sit here this evening all around the world from all kinds of countries that are trying their best to raise the support they need to take the gospel to some people somewhere. Are we willing? Are we willing to help them get there? Are we willing to help them carry that message? Sometimes. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, have we been hoarding up down here with what we could be using to reach lost souls with? Have we been wasting what God's given us on non-essentials that could be used to reach men and women and boys and girls with the gospel? I've challenged you with this fact before. Have you ever stopped and think, one Coke a day, 365 pounds a year. What could God do with that for the cause of missions? One simple Coke a day. Or maybe it's a chocolate bar. <laughs> a lot of those things we indulge in that we don't really need and would be better off without anyway. But I'm saying we're so blessed. Do we want God's blessings or do we want to try to bring those blessings on ourselves? We should do everything within our power, just like the Macedonian church did, to give to the work of missions. Problem is the job's bigger than us, folks. It really is even when we've possibly done all that we can do, the needs are still going to be there. We're always going to run out of money before the job is completed when we're using our own. What do we do? How can we do something that seems so impossible? When we've exhausted the first two dimensions, we can get involved in the third dimension. We can turn to Him. To do that which is beyond our power. We can't. Do we understand that? Some things are just beyond our power in order to reach the regions beyond. We practice what we call faith promise giving. If you've been honest in your tithe and you've willingly given and sacrificed what you can from your free will and uh, love offerings, well, then I just simply ask you, do you believe God is big enough to do the job he's called us to do? Do we really believe that God can do what's impossible with man? Can I ask you this evening just how big is your God? How big is your God? Can I ask you this evening how big is your faith? How much can you trust God? I'm not asking you to do something stupid. Matter of fact, you only make life hard for us. If you do something silly, if you do something on your own, I'm not asking you to act on your own. I'm asking you to honestly get on your face before God and say, God, what do you want to do through me? Can God trust you? I heard one preacher say one time, can God trust you enough to give through your hands what he doesn't give to your hands? 
can God give through you in a way that you don't latch onto it when it comes through? Can you trust God to do the impossible? Have you prayed earnestly? That's what I've asked you to do. That's what I'm asking you again. Don't operate on your emotions. Don't act on the spur of the moment. I don't want you to do something and promise something that you can't do and that we make promises that we can't fulfill. I'm saying I want to see God continue to do that which we can't take the credit for. I want to see God do great things through us that only he can receive the glory for. And yes, we're a small congregation, but we serve a great God. We serve a big God. Do we have the faith to believe him? Will we get on our face before God and really find out what God wants? Are you willing this week? Maybe it's you, first of all, that he needs. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you to be more committed right here in your giving, in your serving. Maybe it's you to go to the mission field somewhere where there's a need. I don't care how young or how old that you are. Are you willing to just give yourself wholeheartedly to God? Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you really want. Are you willing to pray to God? to say what God wants to do through you for the cause of missions. What's God want? Can he trust us enough that he can do the impossible? <laughs> you see, but having hope, the Apostle Paul said, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you, according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Can you understand the excitement? You know, I'm going to say this, and we're going to sing our closing hymn. We're going to finish. I can still remember the very first time that I ever heard this passage of Scripture opened up and preached and taught in such a way that I understand, I understood, wow, this is a whole dimension of giving that I've never even seen before. I've never even understood before. I did love God. I was faithful in paying my tithes. And I was already giving to missions out of what God had blessed me with. But this was exciting because I thought, wow, here's something that God can do that which I can't do. You know, this evening, I want you to realize the beauty of giving. Our God that gave to us so much. And the beauty that giving, I know it goes totally contrary to the flesh and society and the world around us. But in God's economy, you've got to give in order to receive. You don't hoard it up. You don't hold on to it. You don't build it up yourself. To learn biblical giving will bring such blessings to your life. If you want to continue through life trying to do your own thing, cutting God out of it, then you've got that choice. He wants those that are of a willing heart to do all that they can, all this within their power, and then to let him do what's beyond our power. And folks, that's exciting when you really trust God. And you know, you have to exercise your faith in order for it to grow stronger. You know, if you sit back and do nothing, you're going to get weaker and weaker all the time. You've got to exercise your faith if you want it to grow stronger. Maybe 
this missions conference. Maybe God's wanting you to exercise your faith, not something silly and foolish in yourself and in your own emotions. Maybe you just need to do some serious praying. God, what do you really want to do with me? Is it me personally in the flesh that you want to take somewhere? Are you wanting to do through me financially what I, I just can't do, God? Is it me that needs to spend more time praying for God to send forth labors and praying for those labors that he sends forth? Folks, are you willing to just give yourself for whatever God wants? To genuinely get on your face before God and be honest with him and ask him, what's he going to do? It's exciting. It's exciting to see God do what you can only accredit to God, Brother Steve. <laughs> what you can't sneak in there with your own pride and your own self and take credit for. Boy, wasn't I good. You know, I gave up this. Thank God if you're willing to sacrifice. You ought to be willing to. And I'm talking about going into another whole dimension where God does that which you couldn't even think about or dream about doing. Mm -hmm. 